Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Good afternoon and good evening, Undying Light listeners, and welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and once again, we are back in the Gospels with Matthew and bringing to you another new episode as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're getting close to the end, uh, probably just a few more weeks as we get to the point where we wrap up this sermon. It concludes itself uh, essentially around verse 27. But then we see the authority of Jesus declared, and then we see Jesus cleansing a leper uh, as chapter 7 uh, ends and chapter 8 begins. So we have just a little bit left. Today we're going to look at asking it will be given and some of these um, potentially negative twistings of this scripture, uh, especially at how a lot of the you know, a lot of the Western church has viewed these verses and, and seemingly uh, the prosperity gospel preachers and things of that nature and how they've manipulated this text to make it seem like Jesus is just your magic genie. So uh, we'll look at that uh, this week. And uh, depending on our time, you know, the next two sections are rather short. So we'll probably look at those together. Um, and then verses 21 through 20, probably s- at least three, um, is a pretty lengthy section and so we will probably spend a whole episode looking at that uh, and then we'll wrap it out with building your house on a rock and so really uh, after this we get three more episodes in the Sermon on the Mount series and then we'll move on to chapter 8 and uh, continue on with the gospel of Matthew so we will see more pointed times of Jesus's teaching and we'll see more uh, confrontations by the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all that in the time to come. So a lot of ground yet. We still have about uh, 21 and a half chapters left in Matthew to go through, but we uh, have all the time in the world and uh, I'm not looking to rush this at all. So I'm really enjoying this series. I hope you are too. So uh, with that being said, today is Ash Wednesday. So a happy Ash Wednesday as we kick off Lent. The show drops on Friday, but it will still be uh, before the first Sunday in Lent, which is Lent 1 this week, and uh, this is the time where we get to come and start to recognize uh, the need for our own repentance, but more importantly, it's our need to uh, rely upon Christ and to recognize the work that he's going to be doing during Holy Week, which is instituting the Lord's Supper and then dying on the cross and rising on Easter morning. So a lot of preparation into that. Some people have equated Lent season to be kind of a season of remembrance. I kind of like to say is a little bit more of a looking forward to our salvation because this is the week or the, the, the 40 days, if you would, that we get to look towards Holy Week and we get to look towards the resurrection because in the death and resurrection of Christ, that is where we have our salvation. So... Uh, happy Ash Wednesday, and as we kick off the season of Lent, uh, we are going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. I don't think we'll have any sort of special Easter 
uh, episodes or any bonus episodes like that at this point. There's just a lot uh, that I'm working through outside of the podcast um, in terms of ministry, the church, and just some personal projects. So if you're interested in be, being a part of any of those projects, come join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash undying light. And for a dollar a month, you can get previous information into all of what we're doing outside of the show. Uh, some my, some things that I am working on is a couple of books, and I've got some other projects that I'll be doing with the church uh, as terms of teaching and things like that. So a lot of exciting things uh, coming down this shoot for this year. I'm very excited to be a part of it. So um, if we can get through these verses in relative time, maybe we can speed this up a little bit because I don't want to really sit here and regurgitate a bunch of commercials for you. I just want to get into the material. Uh, maybe we can get through two sections today and then do um, two of them. It'd probably still take us three, th- at least three more episodes with this one included if we get through the golden rule as well. Um, but we'll see. You know, like I said, I don't want to rush things. If I get sidetracked and rabbit hold, then we'll, uh, we'll just part for next week. So here is uh, verse 7 in chapter 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give give? give Good get things to those who ask him. So this is an interesting verse. And on the surface, it really feels like this can be kind of the bread and butter to the prosperity movement. Ask and it will be given to you. You know, why would your father give you bad things? um, If you yourself give, while or evil, give good things to your children, how could God give you evil things? He's going to give you good things. It's exactly what people would take this text to say. And they also use this text as a manner of um, manipulation to kind of, as I mentioned early on, to make Jesus into this kind of genie aspect and, uh, and how he can just, he'll just grant you whatever wish you ask. And there's, cause there's really not a lot of context surrounding this uh, until we get to other gospel accounts. And when we would see uh, that when we ask in the name of Christ, and if it is the will of God to do so, then we will receive it. It's not the will of God to make everybody on this planet wealthy, healthy, and happy. It's just not the will of God for that. That is not uh, anywhere ever depicted as being a part of God's holy plan for us. What God would desire is for us to be faithful and believe in him and his son. That is the will of God, that all men should have faith in Christ. So, it's <clears throat> on the surface, like I said, it can be very easily manipulative. It can be something that a lot of people just, you know, dip their toes into the water and, and declare that this is, you know, what the text says. Uh, and, and sometimes without a full understanding of context, this is where the plain literal interpretation of text can get a little muddy. Because if you were to just take this and, and just say, well, this is what it says, you are right in one aspect, but you're also taking this out of context and you are stripping it of any other supportive context found elsewhere in Scripture. Taking this, the plain meaning of Scripture is to take that verse 
in conjunction with other verses that that say the same thing but maybe from a different angle and compare them and say okay if this is if this is all saying the same thing then it's got to mean this what it's saying but if there's further context then we have to build out the story more for instance later in the gospel accounts you'll get the fuller context to ask and it will be given and that is if it is within the father's will and we are to ask in the name of jesus christ that is how we pray. We pray to Christ and we ask Christ to turn these prayers over as our mediator to God the Father. And if it is within God the Father's will and desire to grant us whatever we wish then or pray for, then by all means that could happen. But it's not centered along health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, it is not centered on that. It Generally, if you pray for wisdom, you could get wisdom or get Put into times where you will need to, uh, to to cultivate more wisdom. If you pray for strength, you will be placed in situations where you you will need to work on your strength. It's not just like, oh Lord, make me strong, and then tomorrow you wake up and you can bench five hundred pounds. It's Lord, make me strong and provide me strength, and then you will face trials that will certainly cultivate strength out of you. Uh, most of it is always going to be like a psychological strength, ment mental fortitude, things like that. But we should understand that there are things that the Father would freely give us. And then there are things that just flat out are not in the wheelhouse. So the disciples have heard from Jesus that he expects them to be lights of the world. This goes back to chapter 5, verse 14, and to show compassion, humility, purity, and love. So that is exactly what they are, they are to be t uh, showing the world. For aid in doing these good things, he exhorts them to pray fervently for the Father's blessing. This is exactly what I was just saying. It is around the will of God that people are shown compassion, humility, love, the gospel of all things, and showing the world that there is only salvation found in Christ. And so... To pray and ask for aid in these things, that is what we are being called to do, to pray fervently and diligently and to continuously ask for the Father's blessing. So the finding and receiving, and it will be open, uh, stunning unconditional assurances that the Father will hear and answer the prayers of his children. Therefore, we should be praying boldly like a father. He will, be, he will answer according to his good purpose. And again, this is where we can sometimes fall into the trap that this is like the magic genie. We are to diligently, fervently, continuously pray and seek for aid and working through this life. I think, you know, going to, you know, taking these verses and applying them into like the Lord's Supper, giving us this day our daily bread, asking God for the things that God will freely give us. That is the premise of the Christian. It, it is beneficial from times to, in our lives that we have wisdom, we have strength, we have vigilance, we have determination, we have fortitude, we have um, whatever it may be. There are seasons and times when those things are helpful and beneficial to us, and then there are other times when it's not. Um, you know, one of the things I kind of realize as we get older in life and I and I've been working a lot with uh, the elderly lately is the prayers of them are far different than the prayers of me so I went and visited a, a, this lady yesterday 
um, who's in hospice, and she just prays every night she goes to bed. She goes, Lord, thank you for another day. And if it is your will to take me through the night, then I am okay with that. But I pray for a peaceful night, you know, and that's her prayer. And she's 90 years old. She's lived a long life. She's, you know, certainly done what she's wanted to do. And now she's at the end of it. And I think about that, just the reality that we all will face one day. We don't know when death is going to come for us. Some of us will be blessed to live long and productive lives. Some of us uh, will be will be called home before we, you know, before those around us want us to. You know, we'll be too young. And, uh, you know, I, I just think about kind of the, the fragile nature of the human life, but more so just to really contemplate the words of these these individuals and just the the sheer dependency upon God is just absolutely amazing. They may not be pulling open their Bibles and reading it every day. They may not have notebooks filled with, you know, verses, quotes and and explanations and questions and things like that. They they may just be, you know, hanging on by a thread and praying. And that's again the only amount of faith we ever need. And so it really should change our perspective of what prayer is to be and what prayer ought to be. Because if our prayers are focused solely around our own selfish ambitions, then they're not truly godly prayers. We're just using Jesus as the magic genie. And this is this is the thing that really angers me about the prosperity gospel. Because you have people like Joel Osteen who gets up there on stage and said, and declares the I am statements for yourself. I am good looking. I am youthful. I am wealthy. I am. I, I mean, it's just, it is nothing but a bunch of garbage. And yet people soak it up. And I've been told a number of times, you know, well, I, you know, I hear that I'm a sinner all the time. I just want to be told positive things. But this isn't, this isn't going to do anything for you. It's just a momentary motivational speech. There's no gospel in it. There's no law in it. I mean, it's primarily law if you want to boil it down, but there's absolutely no gospel. In fact, it's a manipulation of the law and it's a manipulation of the gospel and God's good holy word to sit here and position this to mean that God is going to just give you whatever you want. This is the big problem that we in the West face. And we see this not just in the big mega Joel Osteen churches, but in, in the small, you know, town community churches and that these preachers are tickling the ears of the crowd. They want the people to feel good about what they're hearing. And, you know, and I think it really even resonates higher because on a day like today, Ash Wednesday, is I'm going to go preach tonight in a few hours, um, I'm going to preach a short sermon on the the premise of Ash Wednesday and the port, the importance of Ash that we take on. Uh, and I had a teaching session this morning uh, at uh, one of the the resident places here in town, and uh, I was down there preached through Jonah chapters three and four, and we talked about mainly in chapter three uh, the town of Nineveh uh, repenting and putting on sackcloth. And then we talked about the king who put on sackcloth and then sat in ash. And we talked about the importance of that. And we talked about the importance of repentance. And we talked about the importance of, you know, the, the sackcloth and, and fasting and those types of things and how they all are connected to each other. 
and how today is one of these days that we truly are recognizing our sinful nature. And that is that is the thing that drives us back to Christ over and over again. It's not whether we get blessed with something extraordinary in this life. You know, for instance, uh, you know, I'd love to write some books. You know, I got some I got a little bit of free time now during the week when my daughter's at school, and so I am going to put my efforts into um, getting a few books written. And I've got certain goals. My patrons are well aware of it, and they're, you know, trucking alongside me on this. Um, And if God so desires that they become blessed or published, then I'll be blessed by it. If God desires that they're not to be published or I have to self-publish them and they don't really take off, then that's, that's as well. It's not that I'm sitting here going, oh, Lord, make me this famous Stephen King author, even though I don't care for his work. But he's well known and he's a rather wealthy author. Uh, if you're into the fantasy genre, Brandon Sanderson is another one of those. Um, Robert Jordan, who did uh, Wheel of Time, he's a, a pretty prominent uh, author as well. And those are the guys that, um, you know, it, it it's beneficial to follow or, or kind of truck along in their footsteps but I don't intend to be of that caliber. I have some ideas from books that are not the theology. And if you're a fantasy junkie, then by all means, send me a DM and uh, I'll connect you to my project. But these are moments that I sit and reflect upon. Like, what is my prayer life? Lord, how can I, without seeking to make these things self-driven but how can I make them to be helpful for other people and it doesn't have to just be theology you know Uh, I mean people out there who are you know Christians find themselves you know immersed in the fantasy world and the fantasy genre or the sci-fi genre or the murder mystery books or whatever it is whatever genre that you like to read they can immerse themselves as a means to just quiet their mind you know like I Janae and I my wife uh, were talking the other day about reading books and that and she's like she picked up a few the other day at the li- at the bookstore and she's like I just she's like I really miss reading because with two kids it was just really hard and now that they're kind of at an age where they can entertain themselves we can sit and read while they play and we we find ourselves much more relaxed than if we were to just sit and watch stupid reels on our phone all day and so that's a huge blessing and so reading, it doesn't matter whether you read sappy romance or sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, reading is a benefit for many people. And so if the Lord deems my work to be seen by a lot, then praise God. If not, then praise God anyway. So I'm going to enjoy this journey to writing and I hope he blesses me, but it's not going to be a prayer that I'm going to continuously try to hammer on the door and, and make it seem like this is what God had intended for me. I pray knowing that this may or may not be in the will of God. And I pray knowing that the strength and the courage and the uh, motivation and the mental fortitude to do this will be given when it is appropriate. So uh, let's move on here. That's kind of the ask and giving section. Again, it is very easily distorted. So we should always um, pay attention to how we hear this preached to us. But let's look at verse 11 here. um, When Jesus says, if you then who are evil, uh, Jesus took for granted the sinfulness of all human beings. He's basically asserting to all people. Uh, and then he goes on to say how much more Jesus compares the lesser truth to the greater. 
Uh, this takes us back to chapter 6, verse 26. The good things include the Holy Spirit, uh, daily necessities, as I pointed out in the Lord's Prayer, and finally, heaven itself. Luther says this, he says, Christ also wants to indicate uh, that because of all the temptations and all the hindrances we face, nothing is more necessary in Christendom, Christendom than continual and unceasing prayer that God will give his grace and his spirit. So in all of the things that we face, nothing is more necessary than continual and unceasing prayer. Right there. Coming from the word from the mouth of Luther, that is the premise. And Paul even goes on to talk about it in his letters to pray without ceasing, always giving thanksgiving. Does this mean you need to live your life in a constant 24-7 moment of prayer? No. But it means prayer needs to be always on your mind and at every opportunity you should be able to at least utter a thank you or a remembrance to the blessing that God has given you. That is exactly what we should be doing at all times. So we got about uh, nine to nine minutes. Let's see if we can hit the golden rule here. I'm going to sum up verses seven through 11 real quick for you. Uh, Jesus emphasizes the blessings and importance of prayer. Most importantly uh, is our heavenly father's eagerness to give his children the good things. Because we are evil, we do not always recognize that God answers every prayer for our good. Paul writes that in Romans 8.28. Paul writes that. I think I said that. I don't know. (laughs) All right, so let's look on to verse 12 here. It's just two verses. uh, Well, three actually, 12, 13, 14. Uh, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for it is the law of the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. All right, so some tough verses right there, just out of the sheer context. So uh, let us uh, try and unpack these in the next uh, eight or ten minutes or so for you. Uh, Luther says this on the summary of the Golden Rule. This is generally what this is, section is titled. He concludes the teaching that he is giving to these three chapters, and he wraps it up in this little package where it can all be found. And so this is, again, reaching the end of the time that Jesus is preaching. And he basically summarizes all of the things that he said. So whatever that you wish that others do to you, you do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So if you wish your brother not to hit you, you you don't hit him. Those are kind of the generic things. The golden rule, do unto others as you wish to be done to yourself. That That is the simplest fashion we can make these. But verses 13 and 14 dig into a completely un a completely different path if you would so we get the golden rule right there but then we get this entering the narrow gate uh, so jesus is contrasting the two gates and the ways that lay before his disciples this is pointing back to deuteronomy chapter 30 19 in psalm 1 and so the way is hard uh, in greek this is word is trans, uh, translated for the word tribulation um, persecution and ill treatment awaited Jesus and his disciples. This is a, a throwback, if you would, to the earliest part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and looking at those who are blessed that are persecuted. So entering the gate is hard. But let's look at these just a little bit closer and see what we can get out of it. So enter the narrow gate. All right. Enter the narrow gate. This is equated simply by finding salvation in Christ. Christ is the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. Okay, so the path is easy. 
it's wide. Many travel it to destruction. Those who enter it are by many. This is basically a, a contrasting of believers and unbelievers. There are going to be more unbelievers than there are believers. The path is wider and easier to follow because it is rooted in sin and self-identification. Uh, whatever you're, you know, if you identify in your selfish manner that everything should be for you, then you are walking that broad path. If you live a selfish life and you seek to serve others, you by probable chance, as long as you believe in Jesus Christ, are traveling the narrow path, right? It, it is all focused on do you believe in Christ or do you not believe in Christ? It doesn't matter with how you live your life, but do you believe? Belief is the difference on the two paths. One leads to destruction. The other leads to life. But here's the thing that I find sometimes we can get a little tied up on. In verse 14, he says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So there's persecution. There are uh, going to be trials and tribulations. That's what the Greek is translated from, tribulation. And so we, we know that there's going to be complications on this path. Let's take Paul's uh, letter here. I, I want to read this, uh, his, his shipwreck letter, because I think it really demonstrates just the perfect seriousness to this verse. All right, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, with often without food and cold exposure. That's trial. That's tribulation. It's not directly persecution, but it is certainly some difficult trials that Paul encounters on his path. So we would assert that Paul is certainly walking this path on the, to the narrow gate. It is hard. But does that mean that everybody's going to experience hardship? No, not necessarily. They may not experience what Paul just experienced, but they certainly will find hardship in their own manner. Uh, I think one of the most common manners that most people today find to be difficult is the rejection of uh, by, by their family members for their faith. There will be people in your family that will ostracize you because you are a Christian. There are going to be people who will stand against you because you are a Christian. And that is a very difficult thing to take on. When you grew up loving these people and now they are writing you out of the will because you're a Christian. It's happened to me. Um, I, in fact, I, I haven't spoken to uh, classifiers, my step-grandmother, because uh, my real grandmother passed when I was little and my grandfather remarried. Um, but she has written me off because she's a staunch Catholic and I'm a Lutheran. And she doesn't like the fact that I think at one time I called the Pope uh, the Antichrist. And that was pretty much the end of it from, for me. But, you know, it, it's, it's troubling because that is all it took. You know, I don't, I don't care for the Roman Catholicistic view of, of, uh, leadership structures and I think that the Pope is is a terrible position uh, but that is what it took for that um, on other aspects I've lost siblings because I have a biblical view of life and how things should be handled and this person I'm not going to 
point out who it is, but this particular person rejected me because they believed in uh, the freedom of choice, that they can choose whatever they want to do with their body during a pregnancy. And that is that to me is sad and troubling because here we are just opening the gates to allow for any sort of interpretation without any sort of realization. And I know this person doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And that to me is troubling because, you know, I grew up in a family that wasn't really church going. My, my parents go now that there's no kids and they're retired and they don't have to work. Um, they go fairly frequently. Uh, but I wouldn't call them like the most outgoing Christian people would. If I were to say, do you believe Jesus Christ? And they would say yes. And that's all I need to know. And I'll let Jesus sort it out when they get to heaven. Um, but I would venture to say my, this particular sibling does not. I, I know they don't. Uh, my other sibling does, again, kind of follows the same path as my parents. Watches me preach, but they doesn't. But they don't go uh this person in their family does not go to church on a regular basis. I hope they can start doing that. I think that would be a lovely uh, blessing for them. Considering my niece uh, absolutely loves coming to church with me and, and hearing me preach and things like that. That's a tremendous blessing. So, but this is the hard thing, right? It's the family rejection. And there's many others, right? We can find ourselves to be strung out on our jobs because we're Christians when you're asked to do something maybe that might be or seemingly be immoral and now you're being pushed front and center with with you know your Christian faith will you do this or will you not um, you know the biggest thing is it's like will you sit and gossip about Sally at the water cooler with with Tom because you know she irked you guys today are you willing to do those things um, and to to ward off those temptations can prove to lead you to difficult paths within the workplace because you will be you will be segregated if you would for your christian faith because most people are just going to do whatever they want to do and uh and that's where we get to this notion that it is the way is hard and it leads to life what is this life it's not a it's not the the, that salvation is at the end of the path but it's eternal life Right. So at the end of our path, which is the end of our life, when we die, we then are given life at that point. True eternal life. We don't have the resurrection life yet, but we have eternal bliss with Christ until the resurrection. And those who find it are few. Few is a term that can be related to millions of people, but it is in contrast to the narrow gate here or in contrast from the narrow gate to the to the path, uh, the wide one that leads to destruction. There are fewer people to find salvation than there are to be led to destruction. That is how it is being equated to. It's not a just a manner of asserting that only a few people will find heaven. No, it's not what it's meaning. It just simply means in the context of these verses that there will be more people who walk the path to destruction than people who walk the path to life. Because on the road to eternal life, it, you will face hardship and persecution. And oftentimes people will fall away and they will say this isn't for me and they'll give up that path and start walking the path to destruction so i think we did all right in time we got quite quite a bit of context in today uh so i'm pretty happy with that episode so uh thanks for tuning in i hope you guys have uh, a wonderful lent season we'll be back next friday with another new episode uh, as we continue to wrap up the sermon on the mount series of matthew and then we will continue on from there so Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great week. God bless. Get to church. We'll see you all later.